think everybody's got their tea tonight. I think we come in with their little warm cups of tea. We should have cocoa, you know, then. You know, if you're sitting on the floor, you're welcome to come sit up front here. I know some people don't like to be in the front, but uh, you won't be able to see much. Not that there's much to see in this case. Maybe that's why you're sitting back there. I'd rather just listen to him, you know. He's got a face for, for radio. I'm waiting until this clock tells me that it's officially the time to officially start, and then I'm going to officially start. Only it won't quite be. Well, anyway, I don't know what it'll be. Still a minute. Let's go. It's like waiting for the bell to ring. Bong. Perfect. Okay, the bell crawl, come on. That's the second time you've done that now. Third. Does it hurt? No. No. Okay. It's hurting me. It reminded me of the first time I had Velcro. You know, this is like watching how the mind works. It's just so, you know, and we get to do that when we're meditating, right? Something happens and it triggers a thought or a memory, and then you just go, and it's like this whole, you know, row of, uh, what are they? Uh, see, I, I can remember some things, but not others. Anything, that's the one, dominoes, falls over. Anyway, because um, I think I had some of the first Velcro that was made. I had a Velcro jacket. And it was about 1958. And I really liked that jacket because it was like. <laughs> and I remember wearing it in church. <laughs> I'm sure the priest was grateful for that invention. So, well, good evening. Welcome to Spirit Rock. I am Kevin Griffin. This is the Dharma and Recovery class. I made the mistake of listening to one of my talks that was recorded here recently, and it, it made me think I should be more careful about what I say. <laughs> so I'm thinking about making the class just silent tonight. We'll just meditate. You'd probably get just as much out of it, I'm sure, but uh, we talk just uh, to entertain you, to pass the time. But uh, the way we usually spend the evening here is we'll sit in meditation for about a half an hour, uh, which I will give you some instruction, some med- instruction in that as we're doing it, what we call a guided meditation. Uh, and then uh, there's usually time for questions about meditation and about any challenges or anything you sort of came up for you. Then we'll have a break, and then I will give a talk. And um, 
as it's the 11th month, I'm going to talk about the 11th step of Alcoholics Anonymous and all the other anonymi. That's the plural of anonymous, in case you didn't know. <laughs> Maybe it's not. I don't know. Okay, so that's what you've uh, signed on for, ostensibly. Well, this group has been here for quite a few years now, and um, there's something that I appreciate that uh, Spirit Rock supports uh, the recovery community and, and um, that we can engage in this uh, exploration uh, in an ongoing way of working with uh, Buddhist teachings uh, around a recovery path. Um, and I, I usually talk a little bit before the meditation, partly just to kind of allow people to arrive and, uh, and sort of just, uh, it's kind of like my check-in, I guess you could say. So uh, I, th- I think I'll just share a little bit about a project that I'm working on, which uh, may have some impact on you, and that is um, many of the uh, groups in the Bay Area that uh, have the Buddhist recovery groups uh, and centers. Uh, many of those leaders uh, we've been gathering and um, work, sort of developing uh, an organization we're calling the Bay Area Buddhist Recovery Network. Um, and our first kind of goal, well, we're going to have a website up in the next couple months. And where it'll just be really a listing of probably will be the main thing will be a listing of different uh, Buddhist recovery groups and then sort of the teachers and the maybe some of their teachings um, uh, because there, there's a, sort of an, an, a, a real spectrum of teachings of, uh, around uh, this connection. Many of you know that the Zen Center in San Francisco has a long-standing Monday night group, so that's got a very different. Uh, Kind of quality or tone to it from uh, from Spirit Rock because it's a different Buddhist tradition. And then there's, I think it's Walnut Creek. There's a mindfulness and recovery group which is kind of not specifically Buddhist. So it's but it's bringing the Buddhist teachings. Uh, there there are some uh, of the Shambhala centers or Tibetan, which is a Tibetan tradition, that have uh, Buddhist recovery groups. So we're gonna. We're planning a kind of day-long conference or gathering that'll be at the Zen Center probably next fall, probably a year away. Um, not that I need to you know, tell you about it, but just you know, I think it's interesting. I, I hope you find it interesting or useful to know that something like that's going on. And so we'll have a kind of a day where all, all the people who are in this, who are leaders in these groups will kind of have teachings and panel discussions and various programs. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's important to me that, that um, this idea of, of blending Buddhism and recovery and Buddhism and the 12 steps, um, you know, I want it to grow and um, I want it to be seen as a real uh, viable um, 
kind of community and really sort of vibrant community where where there's a lot of resources that's been growing so much over the last decade and and um, for people to know about the resources that are available rather than just kind of individual teachers here or there, but to see it as something that's really a, a more of a movement, if you will. So, um, there you go. So, uh, let's begin to sit, and um, if you're not uh, an experienced meditator, the first thing you probably need to know is that the way you sit and the way you position your body is actually a really critical part of, of meditation. So you want to be able to sit in a way that you're, you're upright and um, that you can be comfortable and relaxed in your posture, not kind of straining or striving to be in this you know, rigid posture. But you also want to sit in a way that you're going to be able to stay awake and alert. So it's better to be upright rather than lying down or on a couch or... I don't think we have any couches here, but and then gently closing your eyes. If you're not comfortable closing your eyes in a group, you can just lower your gaze so you're moving your attention out of the visual realm. And as soon as we do that, naturally come inside and you connect with our body a little bit more, feeling yourself sitting. Oh, relaxing the body, letting the jaw be loose, relaxing the shoulders, softening the belly, So there's an overall sense of just letting go. Bringing a quality of ease. An equality of presence. This practice aims at cultivating mindfulness. Which is a special form of attention. A kind of observing quality, a curiosity. An intentional focusing of the mind in which we try to stay very present to whatever is arising. We use the breath as a central anchor for our attention. But essentially We're trying to be aware of whatever we are experiencing moment by moment without trying to control what's happening. 
So that means we're not trying to force our mind to stop thinking. But nonetheless, we can see that when our attention is in the present moment, that thoughts tend to fall away. Thoughts really create time, create the future and the past, and take us out of the timeless present. beginning to pay attention to the sensations of breathing. Very subtle, ongoing and rhythmic sensations, feeling the chest and belly, rise and fall. Feeling the touch of the breath at the nostrils. Even as mindfulness has this observing quality, it's also very intimate, very immediate. Although sometimes we use the language of observing the breath, really mindfulness of the breath is feeling the breath. It's not standing back to observe the breath from afar but being right in the breath. If we pay careful attention, we see that each breath is unique. Each breath is vital. Let your attention come in close to a single point in the body where you can feel the breath. That point might be the tip of the nose. You feel the air coming in and out. 
or it might be in the belly or the chest where you're feeling the sensation of movement. You might make a soft mental note to help anchor the attention to the breath. So if you're following the breath at the nostrils, noting in, out, with each breath. If you're following the breath at the belly or chest, rising, falling. The words are Something that helps to hold the attention with the experience. It's natural that the mind will wander, drifting off into thoughts again. Our practice is to simply come back to the breath when we notice that. You might acknowledge or notice of where the mind has been, if that's clear to you. Then just start again with the breath. Trying not to struggle or set up some idea of doing it right or wrong or competing. This is what our minds do. With practice, we can train our minds to be somewhat more stable. And 
but if we judge ourselves or critique our meditation, we actually just create more agitation, more thinking. So just notice and accept when the mind wanders and come back. Besides noticing mental activity, thoughts, it can be helpful to notice what's arising in the body, especially around emotions or mood, or what feelings are triggered with thoughts and with mental activity. Oftentimes there's some emotional energy in the body that might be feeding into or triggering thoughts. And if we only notice the mental part of that experience, we aren't seeing the whole picture. So those emotions keep feeding 
more thoughts. Whereas if we can rest in the visceral experience, the life of the body, then we can often interrupt that tendency, that flow of energy between body and mind that keeps the streams of thoughts flowing. See if you can explore this, if you can sense this life of the body. I'm uh, teaching an online course now that's uh, offered by the organization called Mindful Schools. Mindful Schools uh, started out uh, primarily going into elementary schools and teaching mindfulness to kids. And uh, they've kind of uh, expanded now to where they train people to go into schools to teach mindfulness to kids. And then they found that a lot of people who wanted to do that didn't have enough background with mindfulness, so now they offer an online mindfulness training. And I'm, I'm uh, one of their guiding teachers for that. And, and I was looking at the material that they have for this week, um, which is about the body and um, they're talking about the kind of uh, uh, a nervous system in the body, the, the, the kind of the brain that's in the body. There's one researcher who calls it the second brain. And uh, how, um, you know, the, the sort of neurology of the body and how that, um, that intelligence that sort of that comes out of the body, and they use the example of the phrase, you know, having a gut feeling for some, of something. And, um, and I think that's why at one point during the meditation I was kind of pointing towards that feeling into the body, because um, I think that sometimes the way meditation is offered, it's, it's like we're practicing from the neck up and we're just supposed to, you know, follow our breath and notice thoughts. And, and really, I think most of meditation happens in the body. Most, most of the way I practice is kind of connecting here a lot in the trunk of the body and, and feeling it energetically and feeling the connection between emotion and thought 
and between thought and emotion and that sort of cycle that um, if it's not observed, it kind of keeps feeding on itself. But when we can drop into the body, which doesn't have the same kind of verbal content that tends to take us away, we can feel into that, those experiences uh, in this sensed way that lets us be more in the present moment with it. Whereas it's very difficult to sort of be mindfully with a thought. You're sort of either thinking or you're noticing that you're thinking and coming back, but it's hard to kind of be like, I'm thinking a thought, you know, because thoughts kind of hijack our awareness uh, or something. So that's why more and more I find myself just encouraging people to practice in here rather than up here. And and I think that's that's challenging, especially because of what goes on here, because of the feelings that are here. That that uh, certainly not only addicts, but but certainly addicts don't want to feel stuff. Uh, and um, even if there's nothing, you know, particularly troubling going on, it can be a little scary just to drop in. Well, what am I feeling? You know, um, and uh, you know, even even the way that uh, technology has taken over uh, our lives, I think, is an expression of that fear. Uh, and and the desire to trigger a pleasant feeling. You know, there's. Sure, many of you have heard that you know every time you like get a text message or an email that you get a little shot of norepinephrine or dopamine or something in the body, right? And so, you know, we become addicted to these things. And but but further from the pleasure that we get from it, it's that avoiding what you know what's going on in this moment, and uh, somehow somehow real life becomes something we're afraid of. That'd be an interesting, I don't know, that just, I think that's just to leave it right there. Think about that. Real life is something that we're afraid of. Uh, I wish I hadn't thought of that. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, just, you know, I'd like to just open it up for any questions about about practice and experiences you might have had during the meditation or maybe your attempts at meditation in your life or just stuff that might be coming up uh, at this point. So, Yes. Helpful things you can do in your practice that can address your recovery. You mean specifically during meditation? Because I, you know, in a broad sense, I think of sort of practice or mindfulness practice or Dharma practice as being kind of life practice, kind of like practicing these principles in all our affairs. But specifically in meditation, um, did you say to help your recovery? Uh-huh. Well, I I think the first thing is just what I was talking about, which is to be able to get comfortable with our own feelings. 
learn to be with our feelings, learn to hold them and kind of breathe with them without being overwhelmed. Um, because that's, that's what I think triggers a lot of relapse, is, is sort of unacknowledged feelings <laughs> that then trigger impulse or craving. Right, and that just kind of once it, that turns into once that kind of cycle gets going, it can kind of spin out of control. So, to me, practicing meditation and practicing being present is gives us that uh, strengthens our capacity to be with the unpleasant or to be with the difficult. Um, and I would say that meditation uh, as a as a daily practice, also has a natural calming, and you know they use supposedly stress reduction, you know, the technical term or whatever the clinical term, but just that kind of taking time to be quiet and just relax, and even if you do space out or even nod off, you know, that taking that time to sort of step away from the world has a real calming quality on us. It really is, you know, again, our kind of contemporary lifestyle, this sort of hyper-energetic, hyper-connected lifestyle is very much like the uh, obsessiveness and compulsiveness of addiction, you know, that when we're, that we have to keep going and, you know, we have to keep drinking, we have to stay high, we have to kind of stay on our edge. And one of the reasons for that is that uh, it, actually it's kind of a two-way street <laughs> in, the, in that we need, we need to get quiet and calm and relaxed. And the, the habits, those habitual activities kind of become addictive so that it's very hard to stop. You know, it, it, it's like uh, you stop and you go, oh, wait, I forgot to, or, oh, I really want to. And, and there's that kind of spinning out. So um, when we can intentionally take time to stop each day, we just we can kind of drain off some of that energy. And we also, again, train ourselves to be able to step into that place more naturally, to stop in the middle, to not even have to take 20 minutes or you know, a meditation period, but to be able to just stop with a breath. Go, oh, what am I let, letting myself get caught up in? Um, so those... Uh, you know, I, I think the, those are two things. I don't know if those are two different things, but um, they're kind of related. Um, you know, being able to hold our emotions, be with our emotions, and and then take being able to take time to be quiet. And then another aspect. I mean, you know, I I see meditation as being a way to work all twelve steps. So. Uh, without going into all of that, the quality of... of it's not a quality. Or, let's just say the habit of watching our minds. 
and watching what thoughts we're getting caught up in can really help us to, again, interrupt really negative patterns and kind of question or challenge those patterns, sort of, wow, why am I having that thought? Or, or, whoa, this is dangerous. You know, if I go down this path, this kind of leads to, you know, I'm telling myself this story and I know where that winds up. So uh, bringing those background thoughts more into our consciousness is another way that we can uh, just protect ourselves. Yeah. So um, I thought it was really helpful what you were talking about when um, the, the, the bit about like as the conscious thoughts come to like to try to uh, detach from them as you get deeper into your meditation because you might be affected by like a certain amount of stress that's going on today. Yeah. So yeah. like that was really um, pertinent for me because like I'm really excited about something that's a positive thing that's happening. Uh-huh. And um and so I was, uh, you know, I was just, I was, I was wondering if you could, like, speak to, like, how to specifically do that. Like, yeah. Okay. Good. Um, uh, did everybody hear that question? It seemed like you were speaking fairly loud. To just talk about um, how to specifically work with this idea of, I guess, connecting with the body and, and and seeing that interconnection between the thoughts and the emotions and the energies that are coming up. So, um, what I do is I, I kind of, it's, you know, it's it's a little uh, maybe tricky to describe, and I, it's something I talk about a lot, but it, it, I think. It, much of the time it's a little tricky. <laughs> so I will dive in again. Um, there's kind of a sense of breathing into our my feeling. So kind of looking, kind of taking my attention down and and kind of going, it's not so much that I'm looking for a, like, oh, there's the emotion, but just kind of going down here and seeing uh, what's the sort of... Uh, quality of the energy in my body right now? Is it kind of like, you know, this uplifting, like excited energy? Or is it kind of like dark, heavy energy? Or sometimes it can feel like I've got poison running in my veins when I'm in a really bad place. And when it's like anger or or real sadness where it's just... So it's, it's... And even though... The, those energies seem to be in the body. They're also, there's a way in which they seem to be sort of not localized so much that there's almost a, a way that they're sort of in your aura. I hope we're not recording this. <laughs> you know, that there's sort of, and there, there's, you know, I've heard different teachers talk about like an emotional body. I think that Eckhart Tolle talks about this. And I don't know that it's, that's a real thing, but when I, my eyes are closed and I'm feeling, it kind of feels like that, that, that it's not like, oh, here's this feeling and here's that feeling, but rather that there's sort of this just energetic tone that's emanating from my body. And sometimes, you know, I can, 
notice that there, is, there are some things that are coming kind of deeper from my gut, and then there's some things that are like, like in your throat, and then there's some things that are here. So that re can maybe relate to the chakra system, if that's something you connect with, you know, that there are sort of energetic fields in your body that see, where like, you know, when you choke up, you know, we talk about choking up or having butterflies in your stomach, or your heart is wide open. So those are, this is all language we use, and the reason we use it is because it's pointing to something experiential. So it's kind of just trying to, and so what I usually do is that I'll find myself going like off in some trip, you know, and it's like, if I know, I can, I can notice that and come back to my breath, but I'll notice that when I do that, it's just like, it just keeps pulling me off. But if I kind of drop down, I have a sense of, okay, just, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to ignore the noise, the words, the images, all that story going on. And I'm just going to drop in and feel. And th very often, it's like, oh, no wonder I'm having those thoughts. I can feel this upwelling or outspilling of, of emotional energy. And if I can just, so then I breathe with that, and I kind of have a sense of being open and allowing, because usually what happens is the first thing I notice about it is that I'm going like this, you know, I'm, I'm holding it down, or I'm trying to, you know, keep it together, or I'm trying to, like, not look at it. So that's the fear, right? The fear of feeling it. So what I have to kind of do is go, okay, it's kind of like pulling off the Band-Aid, like, okay, just let it come, let it come, it won't kill you. And there's this sort of breathing and opening and welcoming it. You know, oh, wow, this is life, this is this, is this energy, okay. And then, because it's nonverbal, it takes me out of that stuff. And even though it might be challenging a little bit to be with it, it's actually more peaceful. It, it leads me more to a state of peace. My mind can then settle more easily with that by being with that nonverbal experience. Um, and there's a way in which it can kind of transform too because you realize that this is a feeling and my mind has identified it as something, but it's not really that, you know. That's just a name or, or, that I've put on it. And when I just feel it, it's like just energy, rather than, oh, I'm so anxious. Oh, I'm, it's fear. You know, it's like, oh, what if I just call it energy? Then it's just, woo, hoo, 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 you know. So one of the images that I like for this, and they use this in the mindfulness-based relapse prevention program, is surfing. Surfing your that they call it surfing the urge when they're talking about addictive urges, but I find it just surfing the energy, surfing the emotional energy. That idea that I'm open to it, I'm kind of riding on it, because like, it is this energy that's kind of flowing, and there's a sense of movement in some way. And so I like the idea or the image of surfing because it's a sense of there's this really powerful energy. But I'm going with it. I'm riding with it. Rather than, you know, 
don't try to stop the wave, right? That's not going to work. Or if I like, oh no, the wave's going to get me, you know, and then it crashes down on me, right? But if it's like, oh, I'm just with this energy and I'm riding and I'm not fighting it, and what happens to a wave? Well, if you're surfing, eventually, you know, you up and it fades out and it's like, oh, and then it's quiet and you just go up to the beach and cool out. Have your corona. Oh, I'm sorry, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that seems like a good uh, place to uh, take a break. So um, we'll, we'll take about 10 minutes and we'll ring a bell and come back for more of the similar. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.